Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for June 22nd through 28th, Alma 17 through 22. I will make an instrument of thee. And we get to talk about some of my favorite stories in the Book of Mormon today. I am so excited. Um, Ammon is one of my favorite stories. And we get to talk about Abish. Abish is one of my favorite characters of the entire Book of Mormon. So we get to talk about all of them today. And I'm so excited about that. Let's jump right on in to Come Follow Me. And the introduction says, Think of all the reasons people might give for not sharing the gospel. I don't know enough. Or, I'm not sure they would be interested. Or maybe, what if I offend them? Okay, pause. So my excuse has always been, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm weird. Like, that's always been my excuse. All right, continuing. Maybe you found yourself thinking similar things at times. The Nephites had an additional reason for not sharing the gospel with the Lamanites. They were a wild and a hardened and a ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to go do missionary work to people like that either. But continuing, but the sons of Mosiah had an even stronger reason why they felt they must share the gospel with the Lamanites. They were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish. This love that inspires Ammon and his brothers can also inspire you to share the gospel with your family, friends, and acquaintances, even those who may not seem likely to accept it. So in the Come Follow Me materials this week, it talks a lot about missionary work and, you know, sharing the gospel and things like that. Sorry, guys, I know I'm like motor mouthing running through this, like talking so fast. There's just so much I want to tell you and so much I want to get in. So if you need to adjust your players, like your podcast players, that's fine. I'm just going to keep talking fast, though, okay? Okay, so let's go into the first section of Come Follow Me. It's for Alma 17, 1 through 4, and it says, As I strengthen my own faith, I can more effectively share my go- share the gospel. Share my gospel, but the gospel. Share the gospel that I believe in, right? Okay, it says, Have you ever been reunited with old friends and felt the way Alma did, overjoyed that they had stayed strong in the faith. Okay, so I had kind of a sad reaction to this. Um, I think, you know, growing up in the church, I actually tend to see more of my friends leaving the church than staying. And so I was like, no, I don't think I've ever had that experience. I mean, I I don't know. I guess the ones who are left are I'm still happy for. But like out of my Laurel class that had eight or nine girls in it, there's like maybe three of us that are still active, you know. And so I see a lot of them leaving the church. So um, this question actually made my heart kind of hurt a little bit. But then it made me think about what were the reasons that they left the church and what can I do to avoid that? What are things that I can do to strengthen myself so that doesn't happen? And that's kind of leads into the question that Come Follow Me asks, which is, what do you learn from the sons of Mosiah about how to keep your faith in the gospel and commitment to it strong? And I started thinking about that and I was like, well, you know, we've talked about it. Like 
all the time on the podcast. It's those little things, those little daily things, reading your scriptures, saying your prayers, choosing Christ, choosing to be like Christ over and over again every day. It's those little choices that build up to something big and large in your life. And that big, large thing can be your testimony and your hold on Jesus Christ. And I think when you start letting go of some of those things, maybe I won't read my scriptures today. Maybe I won't say my prayers today. When you start letting go of those little things, things, slowly and surely that big, strong testimony starts chipping down. So that was something I was thinking about. I was like, I really need to do a really good job of holding on to my Lord and Savior through prayer and scripture study and church services when they, you know, come back after the COVID thing and things like that. So that was one of the things that I thought about. Now, I will also say this, that if you are someone who's struggling with reading your scriptures or saying your prayers, because, you know, you hear all the time, like, we're supposed to feast upon the words of Christ, and we are. We are we're supposed to dive into the scriptures and feast upon the words of Christ. We read about, like, Enos and his big, like, struggle prayer with the Lord for, like, you know, a day and a night and crazy amounts of time spending in prayer. And those are good, and we need to have those experiences. However, there are times where we're tired or we just don't have time. And think about in your life, when you are tired and you just don't have time and you have to make dinner for your family, what do you do? You order a pizza or you go run through the drive-thru and get like a value meal, right? So if you're in one of those situations in your day, I'm not saying do this every day, but I'm saying some days I think you could pick up, read a couple scriptures, call it good, and that's going to be the spirit in your life for that day. If you can keep that habit by just picking up and reading a couple of scriptures, if that helps you keep that habit, go for it. Do that value meal. However, we have seen what happens when you live on nothing but McDonald's. Not good things, right? So you want to make sure that you have those healthy, wholesome feasts with your father in heaven through the scriptures. But if you are in the situation where all you can do is a value meal, go for it. Happy meals win. So you know, give yourself a break. Don't make, don't hold yourself to high, crazy standards every time you sit down to read your scriptures or to say your prayers or listen to your Father in heaven. Um, definitely push yourself and definitely strive for that connection, but don't beat yourself up when you don't meet, I guess, your perfect idea of that. Does that make sense? Like, I want to put that out there because I think that's something that people struggle with is my prayers aren't good enough. My prayers aren't long long enough. Um, You're talking to your heavenly father. Your prayer is personal. It's whatever you make it, you know, and reading your scriptures. I don't, I don't read them enough. I don't spend enough time on them. You know what? Read a couple of verses and get you through and just develop that habit. And over time, you'll start reading more and more and understanding more and more. So I really want to reach out to those who are struggling building those habits. Ease into it. It's not all or nothing, okay? There there can be baby steps. I just think that they're so important that I need you to take those baby steps. Will you take those baby steps for me? If you're not currently reading your scriptures or saying your prayers every day, will you please take those baby steps for me? And then on Sunday, of course, we need to focus our worship on our Savior and our Heavenly Father. So those are some of the things I think that the sons of Mosiah kept in their lives to help keep them strong. You can tell that they had the spirit with them. And one of the things that I see specifically both with Ammon and Aaron is that they had the spirit with them like the whole time that they're talking to the people that they're trying to convert. Like they have the spirit with them. It's telling them like what's going on. They see like good stuff and bad situations because they have the spirit with them. And they have this constant kind of running commentary, I would guess, in their head with the spirit 
To get to that point, you have to be welcoming the Spirit into your life. And you have to have the experiences of like, oh, that's what the Spirit feels like. Oh, this is how my Heavenly Father talks to me. Oh, this is, you know, and like experiencing that, knowing what that is, and developing. It's kind of like a muscle almost. And so seeking out spiritual experiences and seeking out ways to talk to your Heavenly Father and to listen to Him is something I think that the Sons of Mosiah probably did fairly frequently, if not every day. So that's one of the things I learned this week is that I need to do a better job of listening to my Heavenly Father and identifying those moments when I feel the Spirit. Continuing on with Come Follow Me, as you ponder the spiritual strength of the sons of Mosiah, what do you feel inspired to do? I just answered that, that I want to do a better job of communicating with my Heavenly Father. I'm working on my prayers. I've gotten better at saying my prayers every day. I can't say that they're always perfect, but I'm saying them every day. And in the mornings, you remember I was struggling with my morning prayers. I always do my evening prayers, no problem. But my morning prayers, because my schedule has been so crazy, like I've really been struggling, but I set the alarm on my phone and that's been really helpful. And I, so I've been saying them every day. But I don't know that I've been doing a very good job of listening back. So that's one of the things I think I'm going to start working on is listening more frequently and trying to identify like, hey, that's the spirit I'm feeling, right? Okay, continuing on with Come Follow Me. How did the spiritual preparation of the sons of Mosiah affect their work with the Lamanites? Perhaps you could use this opportunity to evaluate your own efforts to teach the gospel with the power and the authority of God. One of the things that I see with the sons of Mosiah is they had no idea what they were walking into. All they knew is that they were walking into a scary situation. They knew that they'd probably be facing a lot of animosity, um, a lot of disbelief, um, even some hatred maybe, but they trusted in the Lord to get them through that situation. And I feel like it's one of those situations where, you know, you, you have a dark room and it's like faith is stepping into that dark room and trusting that the Lord will light your path like a footstep at a time. And that's one of the things that I really see that the sons of Mosiah had was they didn't know how this was going to turn out. They didn't know who their converts would be. They didn't know who they were going to be teaching. They just took it a step at a time and trusted that the Lord would be there to guide and lead them as they took these steps. Um, We can actually even see this in Alma 17 verse 11. It says, And the Lord said unto them also, Go forth among the Lamanites, thy brethren, and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in long-suffering and afflictions, that ye may show forth good examples unto them in me, and I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. So we have there the promise that the Lord is going to go with them. He also promises that there will be suffering and there will be afflictions. And I think that we have that same promise for us in our lives, knowing that, you know, the Lord will be with us even through the hard times, and there will be hard times, but that you may show forth good examples unto me. So in all things, no matter what you're going through, even if you're, you know, in the case of some of the sons of Mosiah, arrested and thrown into prison, still be a good example of the gospel of Christ even there. And we see that this actually strengthened the sons of Mosiah. In 12, it says, And it came to pass that the hearts of the son of Mosiah and also those who were with them took courage to go forth unto the Lamanites to declare unto them the word of God. And it came to pass that when they arrived in the borders of the lands of the Lamanites, that they separated themselves and departed from one another, trusting in the Lord that they should meet again at the close of their harvest. For they supposed that great was the work which they had undertaken. And assuredly, it was great. For they had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and a hardened and a ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites, robbing and plundering them. Their hearts were set upon riches, upon gold and silver and precious stones, yet they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering that they might not labor for them with their own hands. 
Thus, they were a very indolent people, many of whom did worship idols, and the curse of God had fallen upon them. Now, remember, before when we talked about the curse of God, the curse of God is the Spirit of God being withdrawn from them. So they didn't have the Spirit of God there in their society. Because of the traditions of their fathers, notwithstanding the promises of the Lord were extended unto them on conditions of repentance. So looking at this as this description of these people, this as a group of people, um, this would make me say like, oh, lost cause, lost cause, like not even worthwhile going in there and, and trying to preach the gospel. But to the Lord, no one is ever a lost cause. No matter what they are doing, they are not ever a lost cause. And beyond that, they were, you know, doing this wicked stuff because of the traditions of their fathers. Had they ever been given a chance to know the truth? Hmm, maybe not. So they need to know the truth so that they can follow the truth and follow good. And we even see later that Abish is one of the, you know, women that is part of King Lamoni's court, that she believed in God. So how many other Abishes were there out there among the, the Lamanites who were ready and waiting for the gospel, but just needed someone to bring it to them? And Ammon and his brethren stepped up and said, make me an instrument. Here I am. And that phrase in particular reminds me a lot of a quote by Mother Teresa. And the quote is, I am a little pencil in God's hands. He does the thinking. He does the writing. He does everything. And sometimes it's really hard because it is a broken pencil and he has to sharpen it a little more. And I started thinking about Mother Teresa and her work that she did there in India and in all those other countries that she was a part of and how the Lord used her. And it's interesting to me because if you've ever studied Mother Teresa at all or gone into her her history, you know that there were like year-long like doubts of faith, crises of faith that she had in her life where she didn't feel the Lord with her. She would see the Lord in other people and she would see how the Lord's hand was on other people and she would see, you know, the Lord in the way she was serving and she knew that she was serving him, but she didn't necessarily feel him with her. I think maybe there was some like depression or something going on there. Um, so if you are having a crisis of faith, know that you are not alone. Mother Teresa also had a crisis of faith. And it's those moments where she, I think, is talking about in this quote, God is taking the pencil and just sharpening it a little more so that it can be a little bit of a better instrument later on when he goes to write with it again. Um, one of the things that I thought of in this particular section of Come, Follow Me, where it says, perhaps you could use this opportunity to evaluate your efforts to teach the gospel with power and authority of God. and. I started to think, I'm like, what, how do I teach the gospel with the power and authority of God? How do I even teach? And the only thing right now in the middle of COVID that I could think about is you guys, the podcast. And so what are ways that I can be better spiritually prepared? What are ways that I can delve more deeply into my scriptures? What are different studying tactics I can use? Those are all things that I was thinking about this week. Um, I didn't necessarily come up with anything specific. I found a couple other good resources to look into, and I'm going to use those, I think, in the upcoming episodes. But really, I mean, it just goes back to that thing I talked about earlier, where I really feel like I just need to do a better job of conversing with my Heavenly Father and listening when He talks back to me. So, you know, I talk to Him and then listening what He has to say to me as well. Okay, the Mother Teresa quote that we just talked about actually goes along really well into the next section of Come Follow Me. I can be an instrument in God's hands to bring salvation to His children. President Thomas S. Monson said, I always want the Lord to know that if he needs an errand run, Tom Monson will run that errand for him. As you read Alma, 
Look for what the sons of Mosiah did so they could be instruments in God's hands. How can you be an instrument in the hands of God to bless others? Okay, I want to pause there. So one of the things that I see in Ammon's story especially is that he shows up and he's non-threatening. He's not aggressive with the gospel. He's not beating them over the head like, you will believe what I believe. He is saying, hey, I want to be your servant. I just want to love you. I just want to be here to serve you and take care of you. Like, that's what he starts off being. Basically, I just want to be your friend. I just want to be your friend. And I think that being a friend and being someone who you can converse with and have conversations with is a better bridge builder than anything else we could possibly do. Um, Just show them that we're not weird. (laughs) Right. That's always my hang up. I'm like, oh, we're weird. So show them how not weird we are, I think is really important. And this seems to work. If we look in Alma 17, 21, it says, And thus Ammon was carried before the king who was over the land of Ishmael, and his name was Lamoni, and he was a descendant of Ishmael. Okay, just an interesting side note, like, oh, hey, that's a descendant of Ishmael. That's pretty cool. I don't know. I just like that he um, identified himself as a descendant of Ishmael. All right, 22. And the king inquired of Ammon if it was his desire to dwell in the land among the Lamanites or among his people. Basically, Ammon, what are you doing here? You're a Nephite. Why are you among my people? Are you here to live with us? Like, what's the deal? And in 23, Ammon says unto him, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, perhaps until the day I die. So Ammon is willing to go all in here. Like he's willing to spend the rest of his life in service to these people. Okay, think about that. Are you willing to spend the rest of your life in service to whatever it is that the Lord wants you to do, to whatever your calling is? You know, I think about me in my home with my family who aren't members of my church. You know, am I willing to dwell among these people and be a missionary unto them, perhaps until the day I die? Yeah. But what love is it that brings me and binds me to them? Is that the same love that Ammon had for King Lamoni's people? I don't think so, because it takes, you know, quite a long time to develop that, that kind of bond, I think. But I think his heart was right. I think he was ready to say, hey, I'm willing to take on this commitment. Even if I do this for the rest of my life, like I am willing to put my myself in the hands of the Lord to do this. I'm willing to be his instrument. Like I'm literally willing to give up my free will, what I want to do with the rest of my life. Maybe Ammon wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. I don't know. But he decided instead he was going to be a missionary because that's what the Lord wanted him to do. So that humility, that like giving over to God is so amazing to me. And I think that's what made Ammon such a powerful instrument in the hands of the Lord as he goes to teach King Lamoni in his court. And we see that 24 this was actually a really, really good answer to King Lamoni. I think King Lamoni could probably sense Ammon's, you know, authenticness with this, you know, hey, I'm going to stay here with your people. I really want to be here. And so King Lamoni was much pleased with Ammon and caused that his bands should be loosed. And he would that Ammon should take one of his daughters to wife. So Ammon must have been really impressive because not only was he like set loose, like, okay, you can live with my people. He's like, hey, here's my daughters. Why don't you take one of them to be your wife? Like, have a daughter. <laughs> you know, like Ammon must have been really impressive. And we we do re- read somewhere where, that he's large in stature. So maybe he was just really hunky. I don't know. And King Lamoni and I was like, yeah, okay, he would make a good husband for one of my girls. Something like that. Okay. Then in 25, and Ammon said unto them, nay, but I will be thy servant. 
Therefore Ammon became a servant to King Lamoni, and it came to pass that he was set among other servants to watch the flocks of Lamoni according to the custom of the Lamanites. Now this is something else that stood out to me about Ammon and his willingness to be an instrument in the Lord and just his humility. He didn't come and say, stand back everyone, I am an amazing teacher. I want you to sit at my feet and I'm going to tell you about the gospel. Like he doesn't say that. He just says, yeah, I'll be your servant. I will literally do like the hardest thing that, you know, you have any of your servants do. I'm literally going to sit out in the hot sun watching sheep all day. Like I, I'm happy to do that for you, King. And that's how I'm going to spread the gospel. You know, I think sometimes in our lives, we're put in these situations where we're like, why am I here? What is the point of me being out here watching metaphorical sheep when I really want to be spreading the gospel or doing, you know, what God wants me to? Sometimes sitting out there watching metaphorical sheep is what God needs you to do because you're in the right place to do exactly what he needs to have happen. And we see that. So Ammon is out there sitting in, you know, his little field watching the sheep, right? It says after, and this is in 26, and after he had been in the service of the king three days, as he was with the Lamanitish servants going forth with their flocks to the place of water, which was called the waters of Sebus, and all the Lamanites drove their flocks hither and they might have water, 27. Therefore, as Ammon and the servants of the king were driving forth their flocks to this place of water, behold, a certain number of the Lamanites who had been with the flocks to the water stood and scattered the flocks of Ammon and the servants of the king, and they scattered them insomuch that they fled many ways. Now the servants of the king began to murmur, saying, Now the king will slay us as he has our brethren, because their flocks were scattered by the wickedness of these men. And they began to weep exceedingly, saying, Behold, our flocks are scattered already. So pause. This right here, I'm like, Lamoni, not setting up a very flattering picture of Lamoni, right? First of all, he's like got a stranger in his court and he's like throwing his daughters at him. And now you have these servants saying, oh no, he lost his sheep. He's going to kill us because he killed other people who lost his sheep. Like, really? Like, that's a little extreme there, King Lamoni, kind of swinging back and forth between extremes. Okay, so they're worried that the king's going to slay them. 29. And they wept because of the fear of being slain. Now when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For, said he, I will show forth my power unto these my fellow servants, or the power which is in me in restoring these flocks unto the king, that I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe in my words. Okay, I want to pause there. Um, This is a side story, but there's a group on Facebook. It's called the Super Geeks of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you are any sort of fan of any sort of fandom, you need to be in this group because it is hysterical. Like the memes and stuff that they post, you know, Harry Potter, Star Wars, like all the different big fantasy fandoms out there. They're like all about. And I love this group so much. So one of the things that someone posted this week, like big shout out to this group, was the picture, the Arnold Freeberg picture of Ammon going to slay, you know, there at the waters of Cebus or whatever. I think the official title of the work is Ammon Defends the Flocks of King Lamoni. Yeah, that's the official title. Ammon Defends the Flocks of King Lamoni by Arnold Freeberg. So in this group, the Super Geeks group, someone posted this picture, but they had photoshopped 
an orc over where like the Lamanite in the background was and they photoshopped Stinger, which is like the sword that was used there in um, the Lord of the Rings into Ammon's hands. So it's like Ammon goes to slay the orcs, which I thought was really funny, first of all, because I'm like, oh yeah, okay, putting orcs in instead of Lamanite. So like that's haha, funny. But then in the comments, someone posted that Ammon in this picture by Arnold Freeberg looks exactly like Matthew McConaughey. And guys, I can just not unsee it. Like now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. He does have like the same jawline as Matthew McConaughey, like like lots of facial characteristics that are very similar to Matthew McConaughey. So when I went back in and I started to read you know, verse nine, where it says, Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen with joy. I will show my forth my power into these, my fellow servants. Like all I could think of was Matthew McConaughey's voice in my mind going, all right, all right, all right. You know, <laughs> like Ammon being Matthew McConaughey and saying, all right, all right, all right. We got some Lamanites up in here to slay so I can show my fellow brethren the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in my mind, Ammon looks like Matthew McConaughey. In which case, if I were a daughter of King Lamoni, maybe it was their idea for him to say, I will give you anything you want, even one of my daughters to wife. Because if he's that hunky, he looks like Matthew McConaughey. I don't know. I'm just saying. So continuing on, though, with our um, scripture study, we're putting Matthew McConaughey aside for the moment. Um Okay, so the thing I think that's really interesting about 29 is I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants that I may lead them to believe in my words. Ammon's sights were not on King Lamoni. King Lamoni was so far off his radar, he was focused on his fellow servants. He was focused on his fellow man. And he said, hey, this is going to be an opportunity. I can use some of the skills that the Lord's given me. I can use the power that the Lord's given me. And I can lead my fellow servants unto the Lord. So that was his target, was his servants. He had no idea what was coming. And I think a lot of times we're like that too, where we're like, you know, so focused in on what we think it is that we need to be doing that we have no idea what the Lord has in store for us. We have no idea the King Lamoni is in our future. And even beyond that to King Father Lamoni, right? That's going to be down the line. So just keep that in mind when you're going through stuff and you're like, I need to focus so much on this one thing that there's probably King Lamoni's in your future that are coming. Okay. And now these were the thoughts of Ammon. This is 30. And the afflictions of them whom he termed to be his brethren. Also, he's only been there three days, three days, four days. I think this is the fourth day. He, he was there three days and then on the fourth day. So four days. He's only been there fourth day, four days, and he's already calling them his brethren. Like, that inclusivity mindset that Ammon has to me is so amazing. Like, you walk into this people, they're foreign, they're different, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, they're my brethren. They're my family now. Like, I love them like I would love my family. Like, that's just kind of crazy to me that he was able to do that so quickly. I think there must have been some influence from the Holy Ghost and our Heavenly Father to help him do that. And then we have the whole story where the guys who scattered the sheep were not afraid of Ammon, and so they walk up and... In 36, and Ammon stood forth and began to cast stones at them with his sling. Yea, his with mighty power he did sling stones among them. Thus he slew a certain number of them, insomuch that they began to be astonished at his power. Nevertheless, they were angry because of the slain of their brethren, and they were determined that he should fall. Therefore, seeing that they could not hit him with their stones, they came forth with clubs to slay him. I love when Mormon, as he's writing the Book of Mormon, is he, he like 
understates so many things. Like, he slew a certain number of them in so much that they began to be astonished at his power. Like, I cannot even imagine that in my mind, what that must have looked like. Like, he killed so-and-so! He killed Fred and George! Like, we've got to go take care of this, right? So, I mean, I just... Moroni's understatement sometimes just just makes me laugh a little bit. Okay, so they're coming at him with their clubs. 37. And behold, every man that lifted his club to smite Ammon, he smote off their arms with his sword, and thus he did withstand their blows by smiting their arms with the edge of his sword, insomuch that they began to be astonished again, and began to flee before him. Yea, there were not a few in number, and he caused them to flee by the strength of his arm. Now six of them had fallen by the sling, Interesting because we go back into 36 and he said he slew a certain number of them by the sling. So I guess he slew six, right? But he slew none, save it were the leader with his sword. So he didn't actually kill anybody whose arm he chopped off. And he smote off as many of their arms as were lifted against him. And they were not a few. So not a few. I don't know how many that would be, but not a few. And when he had driven them far off, he returned, and they watered the flocks, and returned them to the pasture of the king, and went in unto the king, and Ammon's fellow servants, bearing the arms which had been smitten off by the sword of Ammon, of those who sought to slay him, they were carried in unto the king for a testimony of the things which they had done. Like, I don't know if this was an unusual happening in the court of King Lamoni, or if this was like just these people bringing in like a blanket full of arms and dropping it at his feet, like... I, this is like one of those stories that just stands out to you because of the crazy imagery of what is happening here. Um, and because of that, I just love it. I know arms being chopped off is kind of gory, but I don't know. It's always been one of my favorites because there is so much imagery and so much action to it, right? And then, so they dump the arms out. And King Lamoni is like, guys, what is up with these arms? We're in chapter 18 now. And he asked them to testify to all the things which they had seen concerning the matter. That's verse 1. Guys, what is up with these arms? What happened? When they testified to the things which they had seen, he learned of the faithfulness of Ammon in preserving his flocks. So, pause. Right there. That's one of the ways that King Lamoni knows Ammon's for real. You know, any other person I could think that just went and chopped off all the arms of, like, you know, not a few people would come in and be like, look how great and awesome I did. I saved the king's flocks, you know, and kind of like egoy bragging about it almost. And Ammon is the opposite of that. He takes care of things and then he goes and he takes care of the king's flock. Like that's, he's just like, okay, another day in the job, <laughs> chopped off some arms, taking care of the king's flock. But that's how dedicated he was to be his role in King Lamoni's court, to being a servant to King Lamoni. How dedicated are we into the roles that we're placed today? You know, that's something I started thinking about. And this is where King Lamoni starts thinking, uh, so surely this is more than a man. Like, this is not normal. People don't go around be having this much power to chop off arms, right? And they answered the king, this is in verse 3, and said, Whether he be the great spirit or a man, we know not. But this much we do know, that he cannot be slain by the enemies of the king, neither can they scatter the king's flocks when he is with us, because of his expertness and his great strength. Therefore, we know that he is a friend to the king. And now, O king, we do not believe that a man has such great power, for we know he cannot be slain. And of course, they're referring to the promise that was given to King Mosiah when his sons went to go be missionaries, that none of his sons would be slain, right? Um, But they don't know that. They don't know that there's that promise that has been made. And so they think he's something greater than what he really is, which is just a man who has some really pretty awesome skills that the Lord is using to do his will. And that's when King Lamoni has Ammon come in unto him. 
And in 8, we see the king asks the servants, And it came to pass that King Lamoni inquired of his servants, saying, Where is this man that has such great power? 9. And they said unto him, Behold, he is feeding thy horses. Now the king had commanded his servants previous to the time of the watering of their flock that they should prepare his horses and chariots and conduct him forth to the land of Nephi, for there had been a great feast appointed at the land of Nephi by the father of Lamoni, who was king over all the land. Okay, so remember there's a feast that's been prepared, Lamoni's been invited, and he's getting ready to go, and Ammon is out there getting the horses and chariot ready to go while the servants brought in the arms. Now in 10, when King Lamoni heard that Ammon was preparing his horses and his chariots, he was more than astonished because of the faithfulness of Ammon, saying, Surely there has not been any servant among all my servants that has been so faithful as this man, for even he doth remember all my commandments to execute them. Now I surely know that this is the great spirit, and I would desire him that he come in unto me, but I durst not. And it came to pass that when Ammon had made ready the horses and the chariots for the king and his servants, he went in unto the king, and he saw that the countenance of the king was changed, therefore he was about to return out of his presence. Okay, pause there. One of the things that comes to me out of this story that is so amazing to me is the talents that Ammon must have had. And I wonder if maybe this came from being part of King Mosiah's court. You know, I can't imagine King Mosiah letting his sons be kind of like layabouts or, you know, lazy. Like he probably put them to work there in, you know, his court, I guess, as it were. So Ammon learned probably to be a soldier from a very young age, which is where the arm chopping came in, into handy. But he also probably followed the servants around and did work that the servants had to do, like taking care of the horses, hooking up a chariot. That's not something that you would normally associate the son of a king knowing how to do, but it looks like Ammon was able to do that. So he obviously had these skills in place from a very young age that he was then able to go and use in service to King Lamoni. Also, I tend to wonder if he understood court etiquette or maybe at court hierarchy or something like that because of his background being King Mosiah's son. Just something to think about. So Ammon's about ready to leave because he's like, "Uh uh-oh, the king's totally shocked. I don't want to be here anymore. The servants are like, no, no, come back. And they call him Rabana, which is being interpreted powerful or great king, considering their kings to be powerful. Thus he said unto them, Rabana, the king desires thee to stay. 14. Therefore Ammon turned himself unto the king and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do for thee, O king? And the king answered him not for the space of an hour, according to their time, for he knew not what he should say unto them. How awkward must that moment have been, right? Where you're sitting there, like, for an hour, like, these two guys just staring at each other. And I don't know, maybe it was Ammon listening to the spirit, or maybe it was a rule of the court that you don't speak until the king has spoken unto you and asked you a question, or I don't know, but... (laughs) For whatever reason, they sat there for an hour staring at each other. And it came to pass that Ammon, being filled with the Spirit of God, he perceived the thoughts of the king. He knew what the king was thinking. And from this point, Ammon starts asking the questions that kind of lead to him teaching, I guess, the first discussion, if you will, with King Lamoni. One of the things that's so interesting to me, both with King Lamoni and then also his father when Aaron teaches him, is that they have a very not concrete concept of God and what God is. You know, you I hear King Lamoni asking about the great spirit, right? And it reminded me a lot of a friend I had in college. Um, he had a mission. He went on a mission to East Germany. And in that particular area, it was, you know, East Berlin, I think was the particular area that he was in. And this was, you know, 
a good time after communism had been defeated and driven out of there, of course, but still, their roots of communism were very strong in that area. And I encountered the same thing when I went to the Czech Republic, you know, 10 plus years ago. It was a long time ago, like, But still, that communism there had pretty much destroyed any sort of religiosity whatsoever out of the people. Um, Atheism was like the main religion there, basically. I don't even know if you can call atheism a religion because you don't believe in, in God. But atheism was like kind of their belief system, right? So my friend was describing this when he went on his mission to East Berlin. And he said that, you know, not only was there the first discussion, but that when you go to a place where they don't even understand the concept of God, you have to explain that to them. And so he and his friends joked that they had the zero discussion. It was the the discussion that comes before the first discussion where they talk about the concept of God. This is who God is. This is what God does for you. And they would have to introduce their investigators to the concept of God. You know, sure, the invest, you know, the people there that lived in East Berlin had heard about God through TV and movies and stuff like that, but they didn't have a personal experience with him yet. And so establishing that personal relationship with God is one of the first things that they did. And I see Ammon do the same thing. He takes that kind of, I guess, legend that they had of the great spirit, and he kind of weaves King Lamoni's personal relationship in with God. And you see this here in 24, when Ammon began to speak to him with boldness. And he says, believest thou that there is a God? And he answered and said unto him, I don't know what thou meanest. And then Ammon said, believest thou that there is a great spirit? And he said, yea. Ammon said, this is God. And Ammon said unto him again, Believest thou that this great spirit, who is God, created all things which are in heaven and earth? And he said, Yea, I believe that he created all things which are on earth, but I do not know the heavens. And Ammon said unto him, The heavens is a place where God dwells with all his holy angels. Okay, one of the things I think that is so good for us to realize here when we see this interplay between Ammon and King Lamoni is Ammon starts out with the basics. He starts out with zero discussion before proceeding to first discussion, right? The basics. He does kind of almost even a a pretest to see what King Lamoni knows. Like, do you know about God? Do you know about that he created things? Like, you know, he's kind of trying to see where do we need to start? Um, I think it's important when we're talking about missionary work to look for the things that we have in common. You know, what do you know about God? Okay, well, let's add on a little bit to that. What do you know about this? Okay, let's add on a little bit to that. Let's clarify. What are your questions that you have? You know, King Lamoni is like, I don't know about the heavens. And then Ammon answers, you know, well, this is what the heavens are. Um, And not to start off with like the really hard stuff. You know, don't start start off talking about Kolob, right? Start off talking with the first article of faith. We believe in God, the eternal father, and in his son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost. One of my favorite places to start when you're having conversations about the gospel is right there because you can talk about all kinds of stuff with the Trinity and their roles and things like that. And you're talking about Christ and you're leading people to our Father in heaven. And it's funny, talking about the articles of faith, we actually see in 36 where it says, And Ammon also said these words. He began at the creation of the world and also the creation of Adam and told him all the things concerning the fall of man. So it's almost like Ammon went to the second article of faith, you know. We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression, which then he goes on to talk about the plan of redemption. I love that name for the plan of salvation. And we see that in 39. Then he, of course, in between, he talks about like some scriptures and stuff like that. In 39, he expounded unto them the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world 
And then he also made known unto them concerning the coming of Christ, and all the works of the Lord did he make known unto them. And it came to pass after he said these things, I'm in 40, and expounded them to the king, the king believed all his words. And he began to cry unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, have mercy, according to thy abundant mercy, which thou hast set upon the people of Nephi, have upon me and my people. To me, that shows so much faith. Um that he just believed everything Ammon told him. And also, it's interesting because, you know, he might be inclined to believe right away because he saw all this crazy stuff that Ammon did with chopping off the arms and, like, kind of reading his mind. Like, those are kind of crazy big miracle-type things. But it was in listening to the words of Ammon and listening to the gospel, studying the gospel, I bet he felt the Spirit. And I bet that's really where his testimony is coming from and that needing of the Lord to be there with him you know, and to have mercy upon him. 42. And now when he said this, he fell to the earth as if he were dead. And it came to pass that his servants took him and carried him into his wife and laid him upon a bed. And he lay as if he were dead for the space of two days and two nights. And his wife and his sons and the daughters mourned over him after the manner of the Lamanites, greatly lamenting his loss. Okay, this is setting up for one of my favorite scriptures in the Book of Mormon. And it's in Alma 19. Let's start off in Alma 4. So Ammon's been brought in to Queen Lamoni, and she's like, what is going on? And she said unto him, the servants of my husband have made it known unto me that thou art a prophet of holy God, and that thou hast power to do mighty works in his name. Okay, pause there. So Ammon, it seems to have been able to convert some of the servants because they were able to then kind of tell Queen Lamoni what's going on. And it sounds like she already has a testimony kind of of who Ammon is. She says, the servants of my husband have made it known unto me that thou art a prophet of a holy God and thou hast power to do mighty works in his name. She's got faith. And then here's my favorite scripture. Verse five. Therefore, if this is the case, I would that you should go in and see my husband, for he is laid upon his bed for the space of two days and two nights, and some say that he is not dead, and others say he is dead, and that he stinketh, and that he ought to be placed in the sepulcher. But as for myself, to me, he doth not stink. (laughs) What a sweet wife. (laughs) He, He doesn't stink. I don't think he smells bad. Right? Now this is what Ammon desired, for he knew King Lamoni was under the power of God. And he knew what was happening. How did Ammon know what was happening? Because he had a similar transition when he changed his ways. When earlier in his youth, remember Alma the Younger has quite the miraculous conversion. Like it was kind of super dramatic. Ammon's maybe not have been that dramatic, but he still changed his ways from, you know, going about doing all kinds of wickedness to now being a missionary for the Lord. So he's gone through the same transition that King Lamoni is going through. And then he turns and he says to the queen, he is not dead, but sleepeth in God. And on the morrow he shall rise again. Therefore bury him not. In nine, Ammon said unto her, believest thou this? And she said unto him, I have no witness, save thy word and the words of our servants. Nevertheless, I believe that it shall be according to thou hast said. And Ammon said unto her, Blessed art thou because of thy exceeding faith. I say unto thee, woman, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. Okay, pause there. Remember from our study and Come Follow Me last year that when someone says woman and uses woman like that, it's not derogatory. Like in our modern language, it would be kind of like woman. It would be kind of derogatory, but it was kind of like saying ma'am. Like, you know, it's a, it's a polite title for a woman. So I say unto thee, ma'am, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites, right? 
this story to me is just so interesting because in King Lamoni's, and then also I think we see again in Aaron's story when he's talking to Father Lamoni, um, the queens are very involved. And it's interesting to me when we go to the Lamanites, we start talking about women. Like their women are involved very much in like the courts there. And also we have Abish coming up here in a minute. Whereas we've had like almost no involvement of women in the Nephite culture. So interesting. Interesting that all of a sudden we've crossed over into Lamanite territory and there's queens like everywhere, right? Crazy. So anyways, Queen Lamoni. So then King Lamoni comes back and he testifies of Christ and he testifies of the goodness of God. And then all of a sudden, everybody just falls over left and right. Everyone's passing out. So I wonder, I want to know what happened here because I cannot think of any other stories also that we have this much passing out. I mean, Alma the Younger, yeah, we have him kind of going out for a couple of days and Zeezrom also, but there's like this crazy spiritual physical connection within the book of Alma that I don't think we see anywhere else in the scriptures. Just it's like all at once. It's really interesting to me. And I think sometimes the Lord uses natural laws for his miracles. Like, you know, if you go look up, you can find all kinds of scientific theories on like the parting of the Red Seas and stuff like that. So I wonder, I'm like, was there something like a natural law here that he was kind of poking and prodding that caused all these people to just pass out left and right? Um, anyways, I don't like even in my scriptures, I'm like, what is up with the passing out? Like is written in my margins. It's just something I've always wondered. But then comes my favorite part in 16. And it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord in their might, even until they had all fallen to the earth, save it were one of the Lamanitish women, whose name was Abish, she having been converted unto the Lord for many years on an account of a remarkable vision of her father. Okay, so pause there. There is this little sentence here on account of a remarkable vision of her father has two possible interpretations. It could be that her father had the vision and taught her the gospel. And so she has always believed the gospel. Or it could be that her father passed away and she had a vision of her father returning to her and teaching her from the other side. Um, we don't know. We just know that there was a vision and her father was somehow involved and she got taught the gospel. Okay. The thing that's cool about Abish, though, is that she had the gospel in her heart. And then the minute that it became apparent that she could spread it and do good, girlfriend ran. Like, girlfriend was ready to bear her testimony of Christ. How ready are we? Are we ready and able, like Abish, to run around and bear testimony of Christ when something hard happens or when, you know, we know that it's the moment that we need to do so? It's amazing to me that she was so ready and willing to do so. And that's why she's one of my favorite characters, because she's just ready to bear her testimony. And we see more about this in 17. Thus having been converted to the Lord and never having made it known, therefore when she saw that all the servants of Lamoni had fallen to the earth, and also her mistress, the queen and the king, and Ammon lay prostrate upon the earth, she knew it was the power of God, and supposing that this opportunity, by making known unto the people what had happened among them, that by beholding this scene, it would cause them to believe in the power of God, Therefore, she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. I mean, can you just not see her? Like, I see this little short woman, like spunky woman, running from door to door, knocking on the door, being like, everyone's passed out, and it's from the glory of God. Knock, knock, knock. Everyone's passed out, and it's from the glory of God. Knock, knock, knock. You know, I mean, I just, I I love this scene. I love the imagery here. And so they assembled themselves together in 18, and there came a multitude. And to their astonishment, they beheld the king, the queen, and their servants prostrate upon the earth. 
And they all lay as though they were dead. And they also saw Ammon, and behold, he was a Nephite. Dun, dun, dun. And they began to murmur among themselves. Okay, their first thought was not to go to God because they're in a culture that didn't really believe in God. So that was not a natural jump for them, even though Abish had made that jump because she already had that faith. Their natural assumption was that this is the work of men and something bad is happening. And so it would be very natural for them to say, okay, one of these things is not like the other. This Nephite guy, he's here and now everyone's falling over. I bet it's his fault. I bet it's his fault. So because sometimes I read that verse and I was like, why'd they just jump on Ammon? But I think it's a very natural thing for them to suspect that he had something to do with it. So they go in, the the guys think that it's, it's Ammon's fault, and so they try and slay him, but obviously because of the promise of God, they're not able to slay him. And then it, in 24, and it came to pass that when the multitude beheld that the man had fallen dead, the one who tried to kill Ammon, fear came upon them all, and they durst not put forth their hands to touch him or any of those who had fallen. And they began to marvel again among themselves, what could be the cause of this great power, or what all these things could mean? And there are many among them who said Ammon was the great spirit, and others said he was sent by the great spirit. And some said he was a monster who had been sent from the Nephites to torment them. And so they're all fighting over who Ammon is. And then 28, and thus the contention began to be exceedingly sharp among them. And while they were thus contending, the woman servant who had caused the multitude to be gathered together came. And when she saw the contention was among the multitude, she was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto tears. Poor Abish, like I can see at this point, you know, she's like, what did I do? What did I do? I was just trying to spread the gospel and and bear my testimony. And now everyone's fighting and now it's bad. And she's upset. And then in 29, and it came to pass that she went and took the queen by the hand that perhaps she might raise her from the ground. And as soon as she touched her hand, she arose and stood her on her feet and cried with a loud voice saying, oh, blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell. Oh, blessed God, have mercy on this people. And then from that point, everybody starts coming back to life, right? So I know, I know, sorry, I know we went in there kind of like bit by bit of the story that you guys have heard like a million times, but there were some points that I wanted to point out. The thing that I got most from the reading this week is that the Lord gives us unusual gifts and he gives us unusual experiences so that when we are in unusual experiences, we're able to use those unusual gifts in ways that can help him and benefit his kingdom, and we can become instruments in his hands. And that's what I see Ammon doing this week. We didn't even talk about Aaron, but I see Aaron doing that as well. And then also I see Abish doing it. You know, Abish is ready and willing to be a servant of the Lord as much as she she was a servant of the queen, you know? So all kinds of really cool stuff. One other thing I do want to talk about before we end this week And this happens after all the stuff with King Lamoni and Father Lamoni happens. Um, And this is in Alma 20. And he goes to go release his brethren out of prison. And let's look at 29. And when Ammon did meet them, he was exceedingly sorrowful. For behold, they were naked, and their skins were worn exceedingly because of being bound with strong cords. And they had also suffered hunger and thirst and all kinds of afflictions. Nevertheless, they were patient in their sufferings. Okay, so pause. To me, that is so interesting. They were trying to do the right thing. They were on this mission. They knew it would be hard. They had faith and they set out. Ammon was set on this course that was wildly successful, crazy successful, way more than he had ever even anticipated. And then the course that they went on was hard and it was full of hunger and thirst and all kinds of afflictions. 
I mean, can you imagine being in that jail or prison like day after day and thinking like, Heavenly Father, why did you send me here if I'm just going to be in prison for this time? Like, what's the point of me being here? Yet they were patient in all of their sufferings. I think sometimes things happen to us. I don't think necessarily that they're sent by God. I think, you know, people have their agency and people make choices. And sometimes we have to suffer at the hands of those choices. And in this particular case, the choice was to throw these guys in jail. But I think God can do really amazing things when we are in bad situations. He can make something really beautiful and good out of something bad. And in this case, they were patient in all their sufferings. What kind of patience did that take? What kind of patience did they learn? What kind of relationships with God did they build during that time? You know, there had to be something good that came out of that. But in the end, they were then able to go along their way and they were able to have success as well. So whatever part of life you're in, if you are saying, you know, I see all my friends, they're all getting married. I'm still single. Why, why me? Why am I not married yet? Well, you know what? Why were they in prison? Sometimes there's just not an answer. Sometimes when you're looking at your friends who are having babies and you're not able to conceive, why me? Why is this happening to me? Everybody else seems to have, be having success at this. Missionaries, all of my friends are being able to have baptisms, but I'm not having baptisms. Why me? Why am I not doing this thing that I want to be doing that seems righteous, but I'm not able to do it? Sometimes there's no reason why. Sometimes it just happens that way. But there's things that you can learn in the meantime while you are waiting for that success to happen. And I want to leave you guys with that this week. I hope you have an awesome week. Thank you for putting up with my motor mouth. I know I was flying like 100 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> just adjust that speed on your on your podcast player. It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, it, there was just too much to talk about and not enough time. And I just, yeah, I know. Sorry. All right, guys, I hope you have a good week. I love you guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 